0: Hello, thanks for joining. We'll get rolling in just a moment.
1: Hello everyone, this is Leah Freebrook from Fluke Reliability, and thank you for joining us today for this best practices webinar. You probably know Fluke as a test tools provider, and you may also know that we produce some of the industry's favorite reliability tools from infrared cameras to vibration meters. But you may not know that many of the measurements that our tools collect now flow automatically into EAM systems of record, and it happens via a framework that we call Fluke Excelix. Our goal at Fluke Reliability is to better connect asset management data and teams with asset management systems to drive connected knowledge. And of course, that knowledge depends greatly on best practices in condition-based maintenance. So that's why this series of webinars explores reliability maintenance strategies, and that's why we feature speakers from a variety of expert backgrounds. Before the presentation, we have a few housekeeping items to go over. Today's session is being recorded, so your phone lines have been muted to minimize background noise. We will be answering questions after the presentation during Q&A. Please feel welcome to submit questions as we go. Take a minute now, find the questions tool in the GoToWebinar dashboard. When we reach the end of the presentation, I will share as many of your questions as time allows for our presenters to answer. And if we have unanswered questions, we'll follow up afterward with written answers. If you'd like to receive a copy of the slides from today's presentation, please let us know during the survey that will appear at the end of today's session. So don't hang up until the survey appears and you've answered the questions we're also happy to send you a certificate of attendance after today's webinar you'll see a question on the survey about getting a certificate answer yes and we'll send one to you and a recording of this webinar will be available on the excelix.com website within a day or two and that's it for housekeeping so now for the main event Today, we are very pleased to have with us two experts on precision alignment, Matt Joinson and Payam Asadi. They'll be presenting on industrial machine alignment, tips for getting precise measurements in demanding conditions. And I'm calling it our very own episode of Most Dangerous Jobs. So first, let's talk a little bit about Matt. After 15 years of millwright work in the lumber and mining industries around Western Canada, Matt Joinson decided to take a leap of faith And in May of 2019, he entered the world of self-employment. He now provides quality laser alignments, utilizing the most up-to-date software and hardware, backed by mechanical support and CWB-certified welding services, and with plenty of passion for tackling new challenges. Matt and his company, Jaffray Millwright and Welding, are based in Jaffray, British Columbia. Thank you, Matt, for being with us today.
2: Ah, thanks for inviting me. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Likewise. And then our second presenter. Payam Asadi is the Proof Technic Canada sales manager and site leader for Fluke Reliability. He joined Proof Technic as a sales and service engineer in 2014, where he used his mechanical engineering background to dig into the company's alignment, vibration, and other machine health technologies. His primary mandate has been to grow Proof Technic Canada by improving channel management, and building strong customer relationships. Payam holds a bachelor's degree in mechanical engineering from Concordia University and is based in Montreal. Welcome, Payam. Hi, everybody. Thanks for having me all right why don't you two take it away
0: thanks uh, leah so um hi everybody um we basically are going to start here by um something that me and matt always speak about i go and everybody always has this thing these tools are uh, we always talk about laser alignments but something that we don't talk about most enough is basically these pre-alignment checklists matt knows um we basically could have the best tool in hand and if these checklists are not, uh, are not followed properly you could basically run into some problems and Matt is going to basically go on to, uh, to tell us which ones and uh, some details about these ones and I'm going to ask him some questions and hopefully Matt's going to tell us how he's going to check them out so first things first Matt you know this that uh we're going to start off with basically the machine tag out what
2: uh what do you go about to, this is a very important step before we do anything so go for it yeah it's yeah it's definitely the most important step i think out of everything you know personal safety everyone around you safety of your tool everything so you know with it, the lockout tagout kind of depends on what kind of site you're at mining you know lumber pulp and paper things like that it all depends on who you talk to but it's paramount to make sure that that is taken care of properly, properly bump tested, tags on, you don't want to be taking guards off or anything until you make sure it's safe. Like that's, Awesome, awesome. But that's some amazing. guys do miss that.
0: Yeah, basically it's true and sometimes when they start work without their tag on, uh, there's almost, uh, if I'm not mistaken, somebody else could ex- expel you, right? If I'm not mistaken. so um, permanent yeah permanently yeah it's true so the other one is is if the base is okay the smoothness of the base can you get into that a little bit more
2: yeah yeah you know uh, it's nice to have a good look over the base see what you're going to be dealing with what kind of working area you know you kind of have a good look at all of that what's the condition of the plates or what have you the feet of the motor or the pump or you know reducer whatever you're doing some some environments are going to be more corrosive than others too, or you know, there'll be rust and, and all just sort, sorts of different things you might be. What would you do on? if there's like a lot sort of rust and like dirtiness and stuff like that? Isn't that the best way to like clean it out first, right? If you can, yeah, absolutely. Get it all cleaned out, give yourself the best chance for success. Yeah, so this brings me to the next one, and we've seen this, and a lot of people could
0: laugh about it. We, we always say maximum four shims. If the shims are okay or in good condition, you lives have seen some some serious amount of packs under each feet, right? So get into that a little bit more.
2: Yeah, it's it's nice to have a look and see what kind of shimming they have underneath the feet, because if they've they've got that motor raised way up with a big pile of shims, you might need to have a game plan to make proper spacer to take up that space, so you don't need 20 shims, just things to make it that much easier for you. You see, and you know, there's higher chance of getting dirt and contamination and. Shims that are creased and bent up or getting caught in the threads of the bolts—it's just nice to keep it to a minimum. But I, and with the
0: shims that are basically there, are, uh, do you reuse shims in bad conditions? You still like people always do that, and you've seen it too as well, right?
2: Yeah, it, it depends, right? Like there's uh, some of them if you, if you can clean them up nicely and shine them up, you know, take a Scotch braid pad, clean them up, and they're they're pretty good. There's no creases. I might tend to, you know, measure them, double check it, write the size on it and reuse it if it's still good. Some of the heavier shims, it's a little easier, but I keep an eye out for the middle of the shim. Sometimes they get caught in the threads like I was talking about in a big stack. And when they tighten down, it'll dish the shim a little bit, but yeah, you you give them a good once over, but if they're creased or damaged or bent, I just toss them. All right. Uh, I'm gonna make this a two for
0: one here. So the, back, uh, the bent bolt, the cop washers, and basically the jacking bolts. I'll, I'll explain. I'll put it all together because you've seen some places that, in order to to have both bound corrected, they basically neck down the bolts, right? Is that the right way to do it? And and you've been to places too that jacking bolts are not there, basically. So what would you suggest and so on and so forth going
2: going with these situations? Well, it's definitely nice to see if you're going to part of the checklist to see if you can even move the motor, or reduce or whatever item you're moving. effectively. can you move it effectively and efficiently? And a lot of times, you can't if there's no jack bolts. So you either have to come up with a clamp style, I've made a few that work for me pretty good. Yeah. You get permission to weld new ones on or or things like that. There's there's different ways to go about it for the jack bolts, but that's definitely nice to check and make sure you've got them there. Not just on the sides, but sometimes forward and back too right. to make sure you've got proper hub gap and other things mm-hmm. to tackle there. Um then touching on the bolts, the neck down bolts. Um, you know, it was probably about five, six months ago I went to a place and they were already using neck-down bolts, but it was really they changed styles of pump and motor and they had to do it, it wasn't ideal it was what they had to do in the meantime. You know, sometimes you have to do what you have to do to get by, I don't necessarily say it's the best way to go about it. I would rather move them out or, you know, put new blocks on something. All right, uh, anyway, but the other
0: thing we could talk about just the bolts and jacking bolts, I've seen those big old hammer or pry bar and they go there and you work with what you have sometimes, right? But we always t- say that try to eliminate by hammering stuff. So um, basically, here the pipe stream, uh, like eliminating pipe stream too. So I get into it a little bit more, but uh, we know that this is solely if, if you're going to get into it, go for it for a little bit more.
2: Well, um, yeah, I guess with the pipe stream eliminated, it all depends. You know, I've, I've handled a little bit of it, worked with other guys that have done quite a bit of it and when we were talking about it if you're, if you're in a maintenance environment and nothing is drained and purged they don't necessarily want you cracking bolts on flanges and everything like in like a, like a down day if you're just doing a quick check sometimes they're not really wanting you to get into that but on some of the installations or in a shutdown where you're swapping everything out it, it does get forgotten and it doesn't get measured so it's, it's good to check it you know especially if things are going to heat up or cool down and pulling it in every different direction. It it gets forgotten. But it's definitely yeah. important.
0: The the runout, the shaft, if it's okay, because you've seen some bent shafts, right? That could be a mm-hmm. huge thing out, bearing place. So get into that. And if you could just you could put put it together with a coupling if it's okay and stuff. So put it, give me give me just
2: a lowdown of what happens if you run into that. Oh, into a high runout. Yeah. Like I'll I'll get in there and you know I usually for the most part Man, I've, I've been guilty of forgetting this before. Yeah. And it kind of haunted me, you know, kind of get into the middle of the alignment and you think, what am I doing wrong here? What was going on? But I, I like to put my dials on, one on the shaft and I like to check the coupling too, put the dial on there, give it a spin, make sure we don't have any big run out. And when I have had big run out, we, we start to look into why because then we'll be chasing our tail all day long if it's a bent shaft, right? Yeah, so um, my favorite one, software.
0: People always try to to, to neglect it, to, to say I forgot. They know it's there. Run me by some
2: of these things. I, you know, I I like to check it off the start. Sometimes, um, especially if we're like, you know, it was actually just yesterday I was called out to swap out a motor, but they wanted me to do a full-on check and maybe investigate why things were failing earlier. Um, Of course, soft foot wasn't a problem, but that was one of the first things we checked on it. We started measuring, kind of seeing what we have everywhere, what's going on, and if I'm putting in a motor, I like to get rid of that soft foot right off the bat, so you're not trying to fight it later on when you're adjusting, things like that. It's, you know, you could, if you have lots of soft foot, you can be twisting the motor base, Everything and that affects the motor quite a bit if you've got too much soft foot. So, these are the
0: four types of soft foot that I put or on this box. We're not going to get into all of them, but if ever you guys uh, or the audience has any question on how to correct these or any uh, help going forward, you could always reach out to us to show you guys how we could do it. It'll be our pleasure. The last one is basically our targets and thermal growth um, if they're accounted for, right? And tell me, tell me how you go about it. There's there's a couple of ways that you could go around with the tool that you use. So go for it a
2: little bit. Yeah, you know when I'm uh, I'm in the field there looking at it. There's a few ways to compensate for it. Um, one of the ones I've had to work with uh, more often is the specs, the targets, the established targets, which you can enter in a few ways when you're doing it. Right at the uh, coupling specs or on the machine, you can enter those that information. Right. Uh, the thermal growth calculator. It's, it's nice, you know, if you have only one shot at it, you don't have any information going forward, you know, it's best it gives you a good leg forward to figure out where that movable object needs to be in relation to the other and live trend. Uh, you can hook it all up and you can go from hot to cold or cold to hot and tie that in with your alignment that you've done or your measurement and it'll establish it all for you, which way to go. All right, buddies. Uh,
0: that, that goes through all of them. So uh, the next two slides that basically uh, this is for the audience that we're putting a machine installation guideline. You could combine that with basically with a pre-alignment checklist, and I'll give you guys a an idea of how to go about it. Just basically a helping hand for you guys to if uh, you guys run into these things. Um, and I think the next one is a poll question that uh, Leah is gonna ask everybody.
1: Indeed. And audience, remember, fill out the survey at the end and you will receive a copy of these slides along with that checklist that Payam just showed you. So don't worry about um, that content that went by really quickly. But now is your turn to chime in. So we've just gone over that whole checklist. And this is a a question for you all. Uh, Audience, what do you think is the most common pre-alignment step that people tend to neglect and you only get to check one so give it your best guess is it not checking flatness of the base is it verifying no more than three to four shims not checking for pipe strain not checking and correcting for soft foot or not inputting targets or thermal expansion values so there's no wrong answer here because they all happen and the goal here is to kind of get the collective wisdom of uh, what you think gets neglected most often I'd like to get 75% of the audience so we have a good representation of what's going on Uh, give us your best guess uh, your best suspicion of what gets neglected most often we're almost there to 75% what is the most common pre-alignment step that people tend to neglect all right I'm going to close the poll and share the results all right so We have 17% of the audience saying not checking flatness of the base, 9% saying verifying no more than three to four shims, 21% say it's pipe strain, 36% say it's soft foot, and 16% say it's not inputting your target or thermal expansion values. So Matt, how does this line up with your experience? What do you you say is uh, most often neglected?
2: Um, for, for the industries that I'm a part of in the jobs, I, I would say not checking or correcting soft foot was my was my guess. That's where I was leaning towards.
1: Okay. And a quick question for you from the audience. Uh, we had some, some people wondering about pipe strain. Um, and I know you said it was not something necessarily that you could always do. But um, in a one minute or less answer, how do you correct pipe strain or reduce it?
2: Hmm. Well, there's there's a couple of ways that you can go about it,
1: either um, bringing
2: the object, say, depending which way it's moving or pulling. Sometimes people have brought in or we've seen them come in and machine the feet of the machine, extend mm. the piping, you know, change the bracketing or support. There's adding bellows, if possible, flexible mounts. There, there's a few different things depending on the situation and the industry okay. you're in. And Matt, quick question here. Let me just chime in here. Uh, if you let's
0: say for example you have the laser system for and you put on there, isn't it like to put on live move and basically unflanging basically the bolts, the, the bolt flanges, and it'll give you how much
2: estimate it actually moves, right? That's how yeah. you get your so, right? So yeah, you can moment. measure from the coupling there heads on and go around and mark your bolts and do it in sequence and it'll give you a pretty good idea of what's happening at the coupling when you tighten or loosen. Mm-hmm.
1: Great. And the basis for the three to four shim rule—that's really because of the amount of irregularity that can be introduced when you have too many, right?
2: That's from what I understand it as. You know, it just kind of helps eliminate any of those options there. Okay. Just, you know, All right. Limit debris and flexibility. Good mm-hmm. solid foundation is what you're looking for.
1: Awesome. All right, carry on.
2: All right, so.
0: So basically, these are the type of couplings that you face uh, in the field, right, if I'm not mistaken. And which one right now is, is the most
2: challenging one, basically, going forward? Um, you know, I would say it is fluid couplings or spacer shafts with the flexible disc. Mm-hmm. Those ones are usually, the um, I would feel for the most part, the most technical that I've had to deal with, just to maintain your spacing correctly. You know, they require a fair amount of precision, getting them in and out, things like that. That's, that's the, those are the ones that I found the most technical or difficult for
0: me anyway. I see at the bottom, uh, on the bottom, right, the grid coupling that everybody knows about there. And sometimes it can be challenging, right, but not putting the grid in. And can you just give me some ways on how to do it? Let's say, for example, the grid's not in. How
2: would you go about it? Well, it, I guess, you know, the, the nice thing is I have access to a multitude of measurement modes that I can use, especially when I'm doing grid couplings. We, we see them quite often. Um, a lot of my work is in the mining industry. So there's lots of grid couplings there. So, you know, depending on where it's at, the machine, is it? can you turn the other half, can you not? Um, it, that, that really depends, you know, if you can't spin the one side, well, at least I've got my sliding bracket I can work on it with, what have you um you know those kind of things are good the nice large window on the receiver helps me when i'm measuring so i can get it in there with some misalignment you know um i like to yeah. get them close before yeah. i put the grid in so you're not forcing you don't have any the big, affecting big the driven machine right you you know, see like, people just hammer them in and you're like you cringe right seeing that sometimes and i've seen it too yeah, sometimes i put flat stock uh like flat bar or key stock in between the grid teeth, correct. When you get close, you can put some flat bar in there, or grids, rather than put your grids, and you yeah. just strap them down, and then you can turn it if that's the way you want to go about it. Yeah. Um, you know, like that's how I would usually tackle them, And when it gets close, I would put the grid in. And um, use. I, in. The other question here, fast,
0: fast. I was going to tell you is uh, the I see here the spacer shaft. Um, do you worry about the length of the spacer shaft using your uh,
2: your own line? uh no, no, uh, most times for what I've had to do, I don't really worry about it. I just make sure my uh, my laser is centered in the head,
0: yeah
2: and I set it on the other end, and you know I've got a pretty big window of measurement, so I can put it on and I spin around, you know it'll ask you, you know do you want to continue you're running out of the window a little bit? Yeah, no, I just go, and then when it picks back up you know, it'll, it'll um, continue measuring. So you can- It talks uh, into the, and right? If I'm not mistaken, it goes to the tele-extend and after that it's-
0: Yes. It's, uh, again, again. Uh, the other one that's not in here, but I was gonna touch base with you, the carden shaft that everyone calls a jack shaft too, sometimes in the
2: field, right? Yeah. Um, go about how would you align it with the rod? Well, there's, there's a couple of ways you could do it. Um, there's the old school way where you have to pull out the shaft and attach your brackets and, and conduct your measurement there. And um, if I'm not mistaken, use the IntelliPoint. Yeah. And then there's the new one that we have that you can save yourself the effort, especially for larger cardan uh, shafts, like you know you might find in a mill or something like that. You can put the brackets onto the drive hubs the card and shaft, so you don't you save yourself that labor and time of pulling it out, and then you can take your measurements from there Just with awesome. that bracket.
0: Awesome. So the next slide here basically shows the type of uh, the screenshots of the road line with the different types of coupling. Um, give me give me some of the stuff that basically you could do on the screen a little bit more that that helped you out basically with customers as well.
2: Um, you know, like when we were talking about earlier uh, setting targets. You can yeah. go into there, you can set where your target's where you want to be for your alignment. Um, tolerances, depending on what you're working to, they might say, okay, you know what? Those tolerances are okay, but we want you to tighten that up just for their own sake or what have you. So you can adjust your tolerances there. And of course, as you can see there, you can change the type of coupler in that window. Like You can space yeah. through the spacer. There's no coupling, you're just aligning two shafts and you're going to put Sometimes they have like a two shafts. There's like the clamp, a coupler. Yeah, you know, and that that works pretty good. The no coupling option, of course, the cardin like we were talking about, yeah. and short flex. You can just change all that stuff while you're there. Good to know. Good to know. So we spoke about general
0: aspects of alignment, and now we're going to get into the nitty gritty. These are stuff that you've done in the field, right? <laughs> so what what for me is is we speak about a lot these are the three three main uh, work environments that you go and do alignments right the mining the sawmills and the pulp, uh, pulp paper and all those pictures are the ones that you took and for the audience if ever you guys want to see something good stuff some good stuff follow Matt on LinkedIn and he's he takes some nice pictures of and he gives you basically an idea of where he's done it and the, and the ways he's done it too as well so, um, so here basically which one let's talk to you which one is the most dirtiest
2: environment <laughs> sorry uh the puppy no herself no problem. Um, no problem. so uh, which dirt- one's being the dirtiest well yeah. definitely mining, but uh, I'm not too worried about it because the machine the tooling holds up pretty good in that environment so i'm not I'm not worried about it, but that is by far the dirtiest okay and
0: and you say about the, the dirtiest and- How do you work out in the the elements around there? Like, for example, with rain, dust, uh, using it with gloves.
2: So far, has it given you any hard time, and just go about of it? No, you know what? It's been pretty good overall. Um, You know, like I've worked in a few warm environments, quite warm. You know, when you're in the pulp mill, you know, I bring my machine in and let it climatize, of course. And we're will be inside, but at the sawmills or in the mining industry, you know, a lot of times it's pretty cold where you're working and I haven't had really any issue with anything like that you know my battery always lasts and the screen always functions like I need it to so it's it's been pretty good in those environments you know um with the rain I try to stay out of it but I've, you know it's, it's held up pretty good you know if it's pouring rain I'll I'll put a tarp over or something but you know I don't I'm not stressing or told. frantic do with that tool that's right for you that well, that's for me, all. absolutely. because, yeah. yeah. oh, Come yeah. on, I don't want to stand in the rain if I don't have to. But no, I I don't stress about damaging the equipment in my working environment because I I know I know it'll hold up. So I'm never really worried about that for the most part.
0: So um, you might have customers listening to this. What's your favorite <laughs> industry? What's your favorite Whoever
2: industry? the bills. That's my favorite. More answer. <laughs> Smart answer. So we'll talk about the tool right now that we
0: that you have right now. So why did you choose this tool? Because uh, you, you you spoke about some of the stuff as well that that how how durable it is and so on and so forth. But I'll let you go and why these are the stuff that you actually like the most. Isn't always the same repeatable thing that everybody says. But this is why that
2: you chose it and for your your purpose, go for it. Okay. Well, you know, like. Like everything I like about it, you know, like it's pretty basically lined out here. But I guess I can go into some detail. You know, like it's durable and tough. Um, using these products in the past, you know, I've just they've proven themselves. So you use them in some dirty, greasy, rough environments. So it's it's tough. You know, I've I've dropped my uh, screen, the tablet here a few times, or knocked it off a motor. I've I've never really been too worried about it. I try to put it in a reasonably careful spot, but things happen. And I've just never really had to stress about that. You know, the the glass on it, you know, you can tap on it, you know, you can feel the durability there. It's it's pretty tough, you know, and if nice thing about Gorilla Glass, you know, for the most part, if you crack your screen or a few things like that, you can usually still use it to get through your job, right? And finish. And and a lot of times that'll be pretty important if you're the only guy with a tool to get this done, right? Well You know and the touch housing you know like i use it with gloves on i'm usually wearing pretty heavy nitrile or like some tight roper gloves when i'm doing some of this stuff and it works good and I'm, my hands are pretty greasy like like we touched earlier if you're uh doing like grid couplings for instance that and it's just like a check or or anything those those tend to have pretty sticky grease with them and you can do that you know and, and i've had good luck with the repeatability, and like sometimes I post my reports there or my measurement reports, and you'll see in there that even when I switch between measurement modes, it's it's quite reliable and repeatable, and it's easy to access the measurement menu when you want to have a good look at it. Mm. I, I like that, you know, and of course, like I'm just going down the line, really, like the measurement modes for different shafts or different situations, you know, and it's been good to have some of the, I would say Proof Technic family, other guys that work with it. And I've reached out to them and said, hey, I'm doing this job, what do you do? And they'll say, how about you try this measurement mode? It might help you out, you know, and you kind of think, oh man, that's, you know, awesome. So I try it and it's it's awesome. You know, like there's the, you've got all the old school stuff like the clock position and things like that, and. Yeah, well, I think, I think frozen am frozen with them anymore. You know, I can use like IntelliSweep and IntelliPoint. Those kind of things I'll go with. Um I like IntelliPoint because you'll go, you'll stop, and it'll stabilize, take its measurement, you'll go and go through, or you know, Intel a IntelliPass. There's a few jobs I've had to do where you move it and then you bring the other one by and it gives you lots of good measurements because it'll measure as it goes through the whole the whole window. You get a pile oh. of measurements not only one point it takes several points yeah, multiple points as it goes through the window and then you can okay. move on it it's it's definitely a lot more accurate than just taking like you know one point where some will sweep by like this one you've got multiple measurements going by so that one actually helped me out quite a bit on the alignment we'll see at the end here. You know and the coupling backlash you know it'll tell you hey this measurements unreliable or things like that it'll give you a notice that there's some issues going on and i've been able to go in when you know what the problem is yeah you can go in there and say look this part is just backlash you can take that part out of the measurement those kind of issues it gives you the capability to do that and you know, um, move mm-hmm. simulator we'll talk about that one definitely later too but it, it yeah, definitely yeah I, I like that one it, it's definitely saves me some issues or if I'm you know, you know where it really comes in handy for me is if I've got a limited shim pack. Yeah. Or things like that, you'll go and you'll say, Well, okay, it wants me to move five thousand, but what if I have a four or the combination I have won't let me do that? It gives I'm you basic for that if
0: right? you a guideline going forward a little bit. So it's a huge helper that 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 people enjoy using that. It it gives you a point mm. moving forward, right? So
2: Okay, good. Your next one is the, yeah. the... the sunlight compensation. I, I like that for outside. There's a few alignments we do outside, and it's nice. You know, the sun's usually beating right down on us there. So it, it kind of helps when you're trying to see the screen, you know, the glare. Sometimes it's pretty frustrating, especially if you have to stand in a certain position or you can only work at it from one direction. It's nice to have that. You know, it's just the little things. And um something i've talked about quite a bit is quality of the brackets you know you they're sturdy robust you know you can you can trust that's the thing they're always you know you just look at
0: them and they're precise
2: the chains are good quality everything is is good quality that i have the sliding bracket everything's sturdy rigid nothing falls apart nothing's loose it doesn't feel flimsy like even those small compact magnetic brackets, like those are those are awesome. We're
0: gonna, we're gonna get into the brackets as well. So yeah. so now basically what we're gonna do is that we're, we'll we'll, go through different types of alignment that you've been through, right? From the easiest one to the hardest one. And I just here, I was gonna tell you basically the simple and straight up forward alignment that you have here, there's two different, I think from last multiple there's of mining, there's some of the screenshots that you took going forward. Uh, what measurement mode did you use here? Like uh, it was
2: easy one going forward. Yeah, um some of these I just used um IntelliSweep, honestly. And uh it's been it's been pretty good. Like for those ones, because it was pretty simple. You could see it, it's wide open. You're not really, you know, like as far as rough alignment's concerned, you can eyeball it close and hook it up and use your sweep on these. That's all that's all I did for these, right? There wasn't a whole lot of torsion or anything to deal with there. I didn't really need to use compact brackets. I just used the standard chain brackets. Good. And yeah. Uh, so it's simple and straightforward, really. On
0: some stuff like this here, did you use? Because I know the uh, inside of Rolline touch there's a softwood wizard that you
2: were telling me how
0: much you like. So get into it a little bit.
2: <laughs> yeah, actually, you know, and it's it's really nice to get in on some of these and use it. You know, you can. It's pretty step by step. If you're, you don't have to start at any particular foot. That's what I like. So I'm sitting there, say if it's a bigger motor and I've got to crawl over it or get down off the ladder, walk around to the other side. I like that I can just choose whatever foot I'm at. Yeah. Start with that one, you know, loosen it. It'll take its measurement, you tighten it and it'll tell you, okay, move on to the next one. Okay. Uh, And it'll give you the corrections if that's how you want to go about it. Or you can do it manually measure it and type it in there. Good to know. Um, The other
0: thing that 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 you told me that you rave about a lot is simultaneous move on the vertical and horizontal at the same time right? So Hmm. when we're we're talking about that
2: can you get into it like do you need to leave it at a specific location or you could just leave it anywhere and go about it? No you know I'll just I like that I can just leave it anywhere you know you can you can do your spin say your measurement but it's going to work better for you to move the heads into another location while you do your live move. It's not a problem, right? You just initialize your live move from wherever the heads are sitting and then you can go from there. That's what I like about it. You know, I I move horizontally and vertically quite easy. You know, um, one thing I I try to watch out for doing that um, is just when you are coupled, right? Like how, is there anything else affecting it, moving it? But most times it'll, you know, I don't have any issue. I like that you can just move horizontal, vertical, do simultaneous corrections, and you know, it just saves you a lot of headache.
0: All right, so let's go to the next one, which is basically the typical report that you could get basically on, on the roadline on a simple alignment and just put all the machine information. We'll get into the reporting a bit later, but uh, that's good to know. So here's a challenging and unique one that you've done and um, what was the challenging part and I think if I'm not mistaken here, it was a uh,
2: the mining industry, right? Yeah, it's a pan feeder that feeds one of the rotary breakers. Okay. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, it was it was. was a pretty was good job. job. You want to tell me some of the challenges, because I remember you had
0: called me here and we spoke about it here, it goes but issues about with jacking bolts when you were on break and stuff, so get into it a little
2: bit more. Yeah, yeah, we were chatting a bit about it. It was, I was more so just venting my frustration with the design of the base. There was no, uh, you know, the base is all painted. There's no actual blocks put on for the motor feet or the gearbox. It was all really flexible. No, of course, the no jack bolts. We had lots of work to do there, get some on. This one we made some clamp style because we had to get uh, hot work permits and permission and the time just didn't allow for it. So we, whipped up some clamps and everything to get that done. This, um, it was kind of interesting and challenging too, because the coupling was so close to the cooling fan of the reducer. So we had to make, it was a good thing we had the offset bracket for that. And also we were trying to get this all in and maintain our line with the drive chain. So we only had so much room to move in every which direction and which so that, that was a
0: challenging part. Okay, next point, I
2: like, go oh, you use the pull line. You want to get into that as well a little bit? Yeah, you know, I I always, of course, have them both with me because like you know, like we were saying with the mining, you'll see lots of drives, some with chains, some with belts, some with reducers, and a lot of them have combination drives like this. So it's yeah. nice to have it and line one end up real nice and you know, precise, then you can just move on and keep the rest of it lined up and square. But it was it was pretty good. The just like I said, the challenging parts were bolt access to tighten down the motor. Everything was pretty flexible there, so it was a it was a bit of give and take. But eventually, we we managed to get it perfect. Good. So
0: let's get to the to my favorite one. this complex <laughs> alignment. So let's talk about it a little bit more. And uh, you mentioned when we spoke here too as well, a large conveyor uh, drive um tell me how how you use the roll line and how to make it easier because i know it's a machine train as well so get into it a little bit
2: you know um i liked that i could use two sets of heads at the same time that's all i had access to because there's another drive also on the other side of that pulley if uh if i had two more sets of heads we actually would have done all the couplings at once when we I'll when I'll I'll it was available to do that pardon yeah good good to know yeah, so but with this one we used two sets of heads to go through. We had no issues. We also did two different measurement modes while we were at it, because the one was not able to move. I believe that was this one here. I can't remember if this is this one or the other side, but anyway, it was it was seamless. You know, we connected the two different sets of heads to the tablet or our uh Roto-Line unit and just conducted our measurements. You know, it was it was pretty pretty simple that way. You know and then when we were trying to adjust it and move it we had that moved simulator because we were running into bolt bind issues we only had so much room because there's large disc brakes on there as you can see on the side so we also had to we only had so much movement in those disc brakes for adjustment to keep those lined up so it was was really good to have all of those functions on there especially we were working pardon
0: i just i just wanted to let everybody know that These are just screenshots of how you could do a basic uh, uh, machine train. This is not the actual screenshot of Matt's work. It's not a pump that you see there. So uh, this is just basically the screenshots of how you could do two simultaneous heads going forward. Um, I see here we're going to get into the to to the bracketing right now um, later on. But you use basically the live trend brackets. uh, and you said something about the coupling surfaces. Can you just get
2: into that a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So at this particular instance, like, because we had to d- switch our measurement pipes a few times because we were also working with the belt technicians, they were splicing this large belt and needed tension, and sometimes they were detensioning. So we we kind of, at this point, it was still free for us to move and turn. So I used the live trend brackets because the, you know both these couplings are good shape. They're clean and smooth. Those live trend brackets, you know, they're pretty versatile. You could put them on a large coupling, on a flat wall, on a shaft, it doesn't matter. So okay, I felt so that those were pretty appropriate to use on that coupling hub. They, they were great. There was actually from a recommendation of another technician I had talked to, and he said, if you're ever doing this kind of stuff, you should think about these brackets, and try and use them. And it works awesome. <laughs> I use them quite a bit. Good to know. Good to know. So,
0: um, basically this is the report and feature that we see that you use two different type of measurements as here and my question to you is that we always talk about uh, measurements i mean the reporting how easy how easy is it to print out the report
2: it's pretty easy actually you know you just when you're at that window after you save it you know when you get your results you can choose, you can just choose report, you go into the report, it'll ask you what details you have on the motor, you could put them in, you know, it'll give you the options, do you want to put it's just easy toggles to down the right hand side, you know, include as found or, at. you know, do you want to include that or not? Yes or no? Do you want to include the soft foot check? Yes or no? Do you want your logo on there or an image on there? You know, it'll give how you that option. How many people have called you on how to do basically just logo? You know, I, I would say there's probably been at least a dozen people so far messaged me on LinkedIn about the logo and they just asked me how to go about it. And it, it, it's whatever, it's simple. I just let them know and oh, okay, geez, you know, all right. <laughs> you yeah. know, and it was. So it's just like those little simple things, but you can go through, um, you can choose to show your moves or, or all sorts of things. You can show on there. It's just simple to click everything. Do you want to show your heads on there that you used? What their serial yeah. numbers are, what the calibration dates are. If people want that information. Like that's it's really
0: actually that's
2: important actually for especially for contractors that
0: yeah. that that they want to have, they want to show the mill that their heads are certified. Uh, which by the yeah. way, if anybody wants to know, you could our certification here is in is in Laval. We recalibrate the year so we sent them out and they're, they're we could get them certified for every two years. Uh, the other thing is um, upgrading the software because Roland types of one-time purchase right so the other thing that people
2: have difficulties with
0: can you run us by it?
2: Yeah you know it's, it's pretty straightforward when I got the notice that I needed to upgrade mine I just went to the site plugged my USB stick in downloaded the file and then I went to my uh, rotor line unit, just plugged the USB in the top of the Proof Technic USB stick, the one that came with the rotor line yeah. And then I just plugged it in the top of the rotor line unit and turned it on and it automatically downloaded and updated everything it needed to do. Just a quick note here. I think if I'm not mistaken, the guys at the Calibration
0: always told me it needs to be above a certain, I think 60% of the battery being charged in order to
2: start to do it, 60 or 70%. I don't I know what it is. think it was 60%, is. if I recall, All right, that's what I did, to but I just went and plugged it in anyway. <laughs> good to know.
0: All right, uh, so next one is another poll question. Leah, it's
1: yours. All right, audience, it is your turn. And we will get to questions shortly, have no fear, but in the meantime, we'd like to know how you handle complex alignments at your facility. So do you have a range of people who are able to do alignments? Do you have a designated in-house technician or specialist or millwright? Do you contract it out or not sure, that's also totally fine. Obviously we have a a contractor outsource expert here um, on the show today, but There are plenty of facilities that have in-house tools that have uh, in-house specialists. So let's see how you're relating to this, whether it's in-house or contracted, uh, whether it's specialist or generalist. We've got about half the audience voting right now. So let's see uh, what you all say. I'm going to give it another 10 seconds. Give it your best bet. And uh, then I'm going to share the results and see how that compares. All right. So it looks like we've got a very even split. 30% have a range of people who can do it. 29% have a designated in-house specialist. 28% contract it out. 13% are not sure how it's being handled. So Matt, as the contractor, why do you think you get called in? Most, Most facilities that you work with have their tools, right?
2: Yes, yeah, they do. Um, a <clears throat> couple of reasons, you know. Uh, sometimes it is just accountability mm. and support around the clock, right? If you're working, right, you can pretty much just keep powering through, or or what have you. And the other one is, you know, they they do some of them do have specialists or technicians in, but on a shutdown situation or a job like that, they they can't do everything, so they just bring you in to help them pick up the slack, but a lot of times it's accountability on the uh, more essential items.
1: Okay, that makes a lot of sense. I know you guys have just a couple more topics and then we'll get to questions, so let's have you, yeah, let's have you carry on.
0: Yeah, we have the last topic here. Basically, we spoke about throughout the whole uh, webinar, basically, uh, of the brackets that you use. And I just wanted to give a range of, of stuff that you personally have in your equipment uh, at all times so you uh, don't need to go into many details or just have pictures here just go quickly about which ones that we spoke about and believe it or not uh, a lot of people like really really disregard this offset the bracket but you really love it right you even wrote a LinkedIn post on it so yes. I think that
2: picture is actually from it that's the one yeah that's the one yeah. exactly right and that was that, that particular picture was when we were uh, receiving all the equipment on the skids that was pre-aligned. We just did a conformity check, like a QC check to make sure everything came undamaged. But uh that moderate or that um that middle alignment that we shown there with the sprocket and everything, that offset bracket right here is on that particular drive. Well, it's good, right? For low clearance areas, you know, you can just set it on there and it moves it out just enough for. To clear bolts or whatever you need to do, or things like that. I, you know, actually, I carry all of these with me all the time. All of these ones listed here: compact magnetic bracket. Um, you know, I used that one yesterday in combination with my standard chain bracket. The other side, you know, there was a few things in the way, kind of a tight area. I was able to stick the magnetic bracket back there. The hubs were good condition, so that was no problem. Matt. I'm
0: i wanted to ask you something quick, quick. Some people don't always have this fear that I really need to put the chain brackets on a big coupling, but I always told people, I'm like, when, if you have a good hub and good coupling condition, you just put these magnetic brackets on and put the longer rods and good to that. Right?
2: Yeah. Most times, right? You know, if you're, if you're in question, just check it out, clean it up, make sure it's square to it, you know, and if you're, if you're in doubt, put a dial on it. If you're that worried about it, you know, have a good look. But uh, yeah, for those ones, I, I've never really had much trouble with these compact magnetic brackets. Just make sure it's clean. You know, magnets are no good but they're, there's a pile of grease and dirt in between them and the surface. The uh, sliding magnetic bracket, um, it, I like this one quite a bit. It's got me out of a few binds, like you know, in the non-rotatable side of the machine. You know, you take some Scotch Bright or some emery, clean up the surface. You're going to slide it on. I've uh, I've used engine assembly grease, like the white lithium grease, or a light oil, you know, usually a nice light oil on there just to help it slide, not a whole lot, but just enough so you're not catching and jerking away on it and having to fight it. But that's that's definitely saved me a few times having that. And then of course the live trend bracket, you know, you could use it for your live, your live trending, of course, everything like that, uh, those large, hubs that you've seen in the last slide there for the complex alignment work great for those um, you know I, I I like them quite a bit if you've got a unique situation or you want a nice stable base or something like that those help me out quite a bit
0: and uh, for the audience to know we still have a bunch of other brackets like for example we didn't put the cardachop bracket we have the very slim, really thin areas that you, uh, that you don't have enough room to put. Combine that with the offset and you're good to go. But these are the ones that we put on the screen that Matt uses the most. So that's, uh, that's pretty much it. Leah, it's yours to go for. All
1: right, why don't you roll up to the next slide so that we can get Matt's contact information in because you are welcome to message him directly. And like he said, he's on LinkedIn all the time, so you can find him there as well. But we do have some questions for you, Matt, and audience, you are welcome to keep adding your questions and uh, we'll get to as many as we can here, all right? All right, so first question, Matt, what is your experience with gear couplings?
2: With gear couplings, you know, I don't often see them uh, in the areas where I'm at. Um, That one, geez, the most recent one I think I had to do, oh. Was that a sawmill actually? You know, that one was pretty straightforward. It was pretty easy, kept everything lined up. They did give us a list of specs. That one simple alignment sheet that we have there or that simple alignment slide, that Mm -hmm. um, scrubber pump was a gear coupling on that one as well. But uh, you know, that one actually was a bit of a challenge when I disassembled it. You know, we we ended up having to reuse it, but making sure the teeth are in good condition. Mm-hmm. You file down any burrs or anything like that to check those. Make you know you want to make sure you have that all lined up as well. Check the outer elements. Make sure there's nothing really binding there or any issues. Um, that one we that one was small enough and we were able to eyeball it close enough to where we weren't worried about anything binding or, or chewing. But like myself, if I was used, doing a bigger item and I was really worried about binding, I would probably do it uncoupled then put it together but that, that's you know I, I don't have a pile of hours spent on gear coupling so that would be a lie if I told you that
1: that's fair totally fair here's another one for you what are some tips on dealing with alignment issues due to thermal expansion
2: well um I guess if you if they figured it's thermal expansion that's causing their problem There's a few ways you could go about it. I would recommend uh, doing a live trend on it, perhaps. You know, take a measurement and if if it's available, measure that machine when you're going from cold to hot or hot to cold, you could do that. Um, Check your temperatures, like, you know, use a calculator, things like that. But I would start measuring and figuring out what you've got going on there, if possible, when hot or cold you know you know what i mean like just start measuring seeing that that's how i would try and deal with it is try and see why what what is happening when you have the thermal expansion issues or is it caused by pipe strain or is it miscalculated you know from somebody working on it before saying this is where it goes does it mm-hmm. i don't know i haven't mm-hmm. measured so right just kind of on the fly that's my answer i it, it would depend on the situation for me well, here's machine,
0: a follow-up. Hmm? I'm sorry, sir. A quick question, Matt. Uh, some of the some of the machine specs sometimes they give you or or they lost that paper, right? And it's been like <laughs> uh, like people are like, oh, we've done it in the past. we you've you've heard that in the past. we've always done it like that. That's the worst answer that you could sometimes get, right? So and what you do in front of you is is your business right now. This is what you you say, okay, this is my alignment, I gotta put in the right stuff, I gotta measure it and have it for myself, right?
2: Yeah, and, and you know, with calculating the uh, thermal growth, like if you're using a calculator, um, there's actually a, a really good technician that I've used as a resource, Pick his brain, and his advice was to use calculators, whether you use it on anything, anybody's thermal calculator, or your own calculations, to do it with eyes wide open. So you calculate it, measure, and double-check. Like, that's, that's the main thing, if possible. It'll give you a good base point mm-hmm. to go with, but it's always better to measure, because then you know.
1: That was but actually it, the very next question, was what, were, what are the limitations of using the thermal growth calculator?
2: Yeah, it, it'll, it'll get you closer than just doing it cold, mm-hmm. but it, it's definitely an eyes wide open. It is a, it's a very good tool to help you, and there's a couple of jobs that I've done with some thermal oil pumps in particular, where I kind of little, I've had enough op, uh, opportunities now to work on them and kind of figure out, okay, this is actually the temperature I want to enter from this point on them, but it it definitely helped.
1: Mm-hmm. Cool. What is your best source for alignment tolerances?
2: Oh, geez. <laughs> I would, you know, it depends on what you're doing. Like some people would say, oh, I go by the coupling manufacturer, but is that appropriate for the bearings? You know, is, is that mm-hmm. appropriate for the rest of the drive line to go by the minimum right. of the coupling? Um, I, ISO standards are there as well, help you go with everything. So like, it, I usually just trust what the road line's telling me or what the engineering documents say. That's usually what I go by. It's kind of whoever's liable for it. That's that's a pretty tricky question. Depends on what you're working on, really. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes I'm terrible at coming up with answers on the
1: fly after a while. I'm just- I would say you're doing fine, but I am gonna ask you another one. Oh. But this is one that Payam might be able to help out with too. I'm gonna ask you first, then we'll see. So when is it preferable to use IntelliPoint versus IntelliPass?
2: Ooh, that is a good one. Well, for me, IntelliPoint would be good, um, especially if you have like a plane bearing or a sleeve bearing. Mm -hmm. Once you start moving, you know, you'll get your oil wet picking things up. But IntelliPoint is good because then you can let it settle, stabilize, it'll take its measurement, you move again. you know, and actually, that measurement mode I was having, uh, like I said, my my resource I was I was chatting to. I said, hey, you know, I was seeing this happen, and this is how I went about it, and this is why I think it worked. And he had responded, well, you know, maybe you should try this too. And it it was it was good, especially um, say with grid couplings. I was dealing with one yesterday. It's on a center hung fan. I used the IntelliPoint. I went through. And I went and because the fan's a much bar bigger item than the motor and there was some imbalance in there and mm-hmm. things are moving around when you're going, it helped me get things dialed in a lot tighter, a lot quicker. That's that's where I use the IntelliPoint, point. But plane bearings, things like that, that's probably my first stop, what I would go with. Good.
1: I have anything you'd add there, or is that is that good?
2: He's the expert listening to us. Oh no, no, no. Experts, too much. I would say um, I, with this tool, I can perform at a higher level. It Ooh, helps me nice. the, the options at it.
1: Nice. You,
2: know, you can experiment and move and do different things. It helps you bring your game up.
1: And everyone wants that. Well, here's a bracket question for you How are the live trend brackets mounted? Are they magnetic or bolted?
2: They are magnetic, there's uh, magnets on four points of them. There's, um, there's a technician who's actually, I, I haven't tried it myself, but he showed me his results and everything of using those live pen brackets to actually slide and do the IntelliPass with them.
1: Okay. It's
2: quite interesting. But yeah, they're four points magnetic. All right. But if,
0: for example, you don't have a you have curved services, we have a different bracket called the permafix. So basically, you could bolt them on to the casing and then have it on there as well. Yeah. So, That's a specific one if, let's say, you don't have a flat surface to put them as well,
1: so. Okay. Uh, Audience, I'm gonna get a couple more questions in here. I want to encourage everyone to to stay on with us because there's a really good survey after we're done here, and I wanna get your feedback on that, so hang on with us. We're gonna try to get some more questions answered, okay? Matt, cop flex dry couplings, for example, in a turbine-driven generator, spool in or out for alignment?
2: Quite honest with you, I don't. I don't deal with uh, turbine generators, especially in my area. I have been present when those things are going on, but I, I can't give you an honest
1: answer on that. Fair enough. And questioner, we'll see if we can find an answer for you from someone else. All right. Okay. Then Matt, uh, any experience with vertical alignments? A little bit
2: on a few on a few pumps. Like there's not. a I don't see them that often here, so it's, well, for the, like, industries that I'm dealing with, or most times they just call it good enough, it, it's kind of getting, trying to convince some people here that it's it's important, it can help them, mm-hmm. but uh, a little bit, a few, a few vertical alignments, it's been nice, you know, I, I haven't had any issue, the last time I had to do one was probably a year ago, mm-hmm. but it was pretty good, it was worked great, system worked great, you know, I just put in the bolts, bolt pattern I had, and it just shim here, here, here. It's pretty typical to a horizontal alignment.
0: And we use the vertice sweep as well, or you we use the clock? Yes,
2: I, I had enough room to use the vertice sweep. Oh, good and to know. Clock or anything like that. I was able to get the heads and everything in there tight enough. And actually, I actually had to use a magnetic bracket, compact magnetic bracket with an offset, and then kind of get that in there, put it all together, and then the sweep
1: okay we are unfortunately out of time so audience i really appreciate the questions you've you've entered here and we will get back to you with written answers if not from matt then from somebody else in the organization who's got the answer for you so thank you payam if you can forward to the next slide for me uh audience i want to make sure you're aware of the next presentation that's coming up on March 3rd, Michelle Ledet-Henley of the Manufacturing Game fame is going to be joining us to discuss how defect uh, elimination programs work. And if you've had a chance to sit down on one of her sessions at a conference, you know she does a really good job of putting reliability training topics into context. And you'll find more information about her session on the ExcelEx.com website. So March 3rd, Wednesday, 11 o'clock. And you feel forward for me one more time. As I mentioned, there is a survey coming up after I close the webinar. There will be a brief pause, so wait for it and the survey link will appear because we would really appreciate your feedback on today's presentation, on what other topics you'd like to hear from. It keeps us uh, helps us keep all this relevant and helpful. Everyone who completes the survey will receive a copy of today's presentation, including all those checklists that they showed you. And if you'd like to receive a certificate of attendance, answer yes to that question on this survey. The recording of this will be available on ExcelX.com within a day or two. And that is it for today. Thank you so much, Matt and Payam. It was a pleasure having you on the show today.
2: Thanks. It was, uh, it was something new. I, I enjoyed it. <laughs>
1: you guys did a great
2: job uh, i'm hoping some of the questions sent or suggestions will be good i'm I'm open to hearing from people in different industries like for instance with that turbine question i'm I'm going to be doing some research excellent Um, i'm not familiar enough with it to answer off
1: the top of my head but uh,
2: i'm always interested in those opportunities to to learn and bring my game up
1: fair enough all right thank you well i'm going to close things up for now. Have a good day, everyone, and see you next time.
2: Thank you.